0: My prerogative of being this morning uh, Fathers, we have a gift for you that you can get when you leave today, and it's back there in the counter in the kitchen, so take one of those uh, with you or two. Uh, if you are on to diet, just one. Take, take those with you and, and, and uh, do that. The, the second thing. Uh, the service is going to be a little different. I, I asked Josh to do it the way he, he did it. You know, we usually do more than one song, but we're going to do that at the end. Today, we're going to do ministry in a different way. Normally, we have you come up and we'll do ministry to one another, but what we're going to do today, based on what I'm going to share with you from the Word of God, is that we're going to bless the Father, the Father of fathers. That's what we're going to do at the end of the service. Now, also what we gotta do, and, and so we're gonna work all this in, is at the end of the service, leave the first three rows, and then stack all the other chairs in stacks of six. Don't take them anywhere. I'll take them out of here later. But Josh is gonna need some help over here to move some stuff into his office and maybe in the middle of the floor or whatever, because we gotta get things away from the wall because they're gonna come in and paint tomorrow. And, and so all these things are gonna go on. The other thing that's gonna happen is that at the, toward the end of the service, um, I already told somebody to go and get the children and the children are gonna come back in here and join us with what we're gonna do as we minister to the Father because I want them to be a part of that. All right? So with that, I want you to open your Bibles. Uh, Connie got in touch with me early in the week and she said, Dave, I can put the scripture on there for you. I said, no, don't bother doing that uh, because it's real long. And so if you have your Bible or you have your electronic gadget, uh, you can turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And how this came about, you know, quite a few years ago, uh, you know, I I went to school and, and I learned how to do sermons and that kind of stuff. But after a while, I asked the Lord, I said, now here's what I would like to do, Lord, if if you'll you'll help me with this. I would like to deliver to the people what you have for them on that particular Sunday, however you want to say that. And so that's what I began to do. Well, about two weeks ago, because Andy asked me if I'd I'd speak because he's up in the uh, walking the trail. He's not walking the trail right now, though. Uh, he walked for a while and he got to feeling real bad. <laughs> and he had to leave the trail and uh, hike five miles to get a ride back to a hospice so that he could recover. No, not. A, hus- a hostel. <laughs> oh, I said hospice, didn't I? No, he wasn't that bad of shape. Uh, a hostel, okay, sorry. Edit that out of the tape. Anyway, so that's what's going on with him. So I want to stop right now and pray for him because uh, he's not feeling real good, probably the weakest he's been in a long time. <laughs> probably Caden's probably like, yeah, okay, Dad, I got one up on you, but let's pray for him. Uh, Father, you know exactly what's going on with Andy, and our prayer is that... Uh, There'd be a quick recovery time because I know he wants to finish at least the last five miles with them. And, and so I, I want to pray that you'd be with him. Uh, this is more difficult than he thought because the terrain and, and territory they're in right now is pretty rugged. Uh, so you, I pray you be with him and give him the strength that's necessary and needed at this time. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Now, before I read the scripture... So I got all this stuff whizzing around in my head that I want to make sure that I cover. I want to thank you guys for the, the gift card that you gave to Jan and I so we could celebrate. We celebrated last night at 1961. Um, that's a, kind of an upscale restaurant uh, here in Lakeland, uh, a place that we probably wouldn't normally go to. We're kind of the uh, mission barbecue place, uh, uh, Sunny's, even those kind of places. Uh, 1961 is way upscale from that. And so we, we, we had a good time, good food. So I, I want to thank you uh, for that gift. Now, back, I was telling you, so about two weeks ago, um, I, w- I was in prayer, this prayer group that I've been meeting with for 20 plus years, and they talked about Jehoshaphat. And, and, and so that started, because there were about three things that were cranking around in my mind that I might want to share, but I, I looked at that and that's what I decided that I'm going to share about. And I've entitled the sermon, um, The Power of Praise. The Power of Praise. Now, it doesn't start out like that, and, and this story is very, it's one of the unique stories in Scripture. And, you know, there are a lot of unique stories. But this one's, this one's very unique, very unique to Chronicles and very unique in the Scripture. And it's interesting that it starts with fear and it ends with fear. But those who fear in the beginning are not those who fear in the end. And so we're going we're to look at that. So beginning in verse 1 in 2 Chronicles uh, 1, it says this. After this, the armies of the Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Minnonites declared war in Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army from Eden is marching against you. And if you know where that is, Edom is to the south of the Dead Sea, the south, um, uh, east of the Dead Sea. And so there's, that's where Moab is, and Edom, and Ammon, and all that are down there. It said they're already at Hazaron Tamar. This is another four named for Engedi, And so it's not that Judah doesn't have an army. It's just that now there's a, a conglomerate of armies from different nations that are gonna gather to come against them. And so this report comes to Jehoshaphat. And here's Jehoshaphat's response. And in verse three, there are three strong words that describe exactly how he feels and what he does. It says this, Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news. Have you ever been terrified by some news that you might have gotten that was overwhelming? See, that's the situation. He gets news that's absolutely overwhelming, and he's terrified. He's afraid he's scared he doesn't know what to do and it says and he begged the lord for guidance you ever been in that situation where you're begging the lord for guidance cuz you don't know what to do he doesn't know what to do he knows that this army is going to come they could destroy them and so he begs for the lord's guidance And then he does something else. He ordered. So he's terrified, he begs, and now he orders everyone in Judah to begin to fast. How many of you know anything about fasting? How many of you know anything about fasting? How many of you know this? It's generally not pleasant. Uh, it, It generally takes some determination. Some of the times when I've done the longest fasts, What it does for me is it brings up all the cruddy junk in my life. So it's not always a pleasant experience. I mean, if you're going to get serious, and that's what fasting is about, it says he orders them to begin to fast. That means get serious about this situation that's going on because, God, we need your help. And that's why why you fast, to get serious with God, to show him that you're serious. And so it says this, so the people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. Why did they come to Jerusalem? Because that's where the temple was. That was the place of worship. And so they show up there in mass and they begin to fast and pray and seek the Lord's guidance. Then Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard of the temple of the Lord, and he prays. And here's his prayer. O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are the ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty, and no one can stand against you. And so the first thing that he does as he begins to pray is he declares and recognizes the sovereignty of God. There's no one like him in heaven and on earth. He's the one who raises up and tears down. He recognizes that. And then he goes on. Our God, oh our God, you did not drive out those who lived. In this land, when your, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people, Israel, arrived? And you did not give this land forever, did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend of Abraham? Your people settled here and built this temple to your honor. They said, whenever we are faced with any calamity such as war, plague, or famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us and you will hear us and rescue us. So the second thing he does is he recognizes and declares that God, you did this. This is a promise that you made. You gave us the land. You drove out those folks. This is a gift from you. That's the second thing he does in the prayer. Now he goes on and he does a third thing. And now see what the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir are doing. You would not let our ancestors invade those nations when Israel left Egypt. So they went around them and did not destroy them. Now see how they reward us, for they have come to overthrow us out of your land, which you gave us as an inheritance. Do you see the subtle implication that, okay, I'm addressing these nations that are going to attack us, but in some way, God, this is your fault. This is your fault because you did not allow us to attack them, and because you didn't allow that, now they're going to attack us and throw us out of the very land that you gave us, have you ever subtly implied that, well, God, you know, this is kind of your fault. If you would have done it a different way, the outcome wouldn't be like this. Uh, So because you didn't, then The situation isn't the best that it could be. Now, I know you're sitting there all pious-like, and you say, no, I have never done anything like that. Well, you know how subtle, did you notice how subtle it was that he whips that in there? He doesn't just say, well, God, now you know it's your fault. He just kind of slips it in. Well, you know, if you would have let us invade those countries, this wouldn't be taking place right now. So he goes on. That's the the third thing he does. Now now he's going to get to the crux of the matter. In verse 12, he says, oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do and we are looking to you for help. Have you ever prayed that prayer, that four-letter word prayer, help? Because God, I don't know what to do or we don't know what to do and we need your guidance. We need your direction in this situation. We need for you to come through. And that's exactly what he's saying. You know, this this mighty army is about to to attack us, and we're powerless, and we don't know what to do. Have you ever been in that predicament where you just don't know what to do? You, You don't have the answer, you need God to speak, You've read scripture over and over. You know the promises that he's made, and you just need him to do one of those promises right now. And so that's the situation that, that confronts Jehoshaphat. And then God does something that's totally unexpected at that point. Read on. It says. As all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, wives, and children, the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. He came, his name was Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite who was a descendant of Asaph. So He's looking for an answer, and the Spirit of God comes on a particular person who is not a prophet, comes on a man. You know, God can do that. He can come on a person to provide the answer that's necessary in that moment, in that situation. And so this man stands up, and he says, listen, all you people of Judah, Jerusalem listen King Jehoshaphat now how many of you know if it says listen twice in the sentence that means listen you know kind of like now get this this is very important you need to understand that and he says the first thing he says is this is what the Lord says don't be afraid Because Jehoshaphat's immediate response was what? He was fearful, he was terrified. And so he says to Jehoshaphat, and he says to the people, don't be afraid. How many times in scripture when people are encountered by God, that's one of the things that he says, don't be afraid. When the transition took place from Moses to Joshua, what does he say to him? Don't be afraid. Be encouraged. Don't be discouraged. When the angel Gabriel visits Mary, what does he say to her? Don't be afraid. When he visits Zechariah in the temple, what does he say? Don't be afraid. And so he says to him, don't be afraid. Now maybe you're in here and, or maybe you're listening on the airways, and there is something right now that you're fearful of. And God would say to you, don't be afraid." And he goes on: "Don't be discouraged by the mighty army. How many of you know this? And he was reiterating this, this to Joshua, I mean, Jehoshaphat. I know. He knows your situation. He knows you. He knows your thought process. He knows what you're facing. He knows everything about you, and he says, "Don't be discouraged." And he goes on. He says, "For the battle is not yours, but God's." How many of you know that intellectually? You know that the battle's God's. You know that He's in control. But how many of us then yield to our default and we try to fight the battle on our own? In our own strength, with our own knowledge, with our own abilities. But he says, for the battle is not yours but God's. Now I'm not saying that sometimes you don't have to do something because he's gonna give them instructions and they're gonna have to do something but it's the instructions he gives and follow through with what he wants to do. And there's a vast difference between following what he wants to do and the directions that he gives and what we can conjure up on our own. So he says, tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them. And he tells them exactly where they are. They're coming up the the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. But... You will not need to fight. Take your position. So he's reiterating what he's already says. And then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you. O oh, people of Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out and stand, go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. And so that's the word he says, and he and you notice that there's he repeats himself four times about four different things, and then he goes on and says, then Je- King Jehoshaphat bowed low his face to the ground, and all the people of Jerusalem did the same. They were worshiping God. They received this word from the prophet, and so they're. Worshiping. They're trying to put into effect the fact that they're not supposed to be discouraged, the fact that they're not supposed to be afraid. And then it says this Then the Levites from the clans of Kohath and Korah stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud shout. How many of you think it's okay to shout to the Lord? How many of you think that? And so if I told you now, I want you to shout to the Lord, you'd think that's okay, right? But I'm not going to tell you that. No. (laughs) Sometimes I think we become fearful of what other people might think. There are times when we need to shout to the Lord. We need to declare his goodness and his greatness. And so that's what they do. And that goes, the story goes on. It says, early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, listen to me, all you people of Judah, Jerusalem. Believe In the Lord your God, and you'll be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. And so, what he does this is the king, he stands before his people and he says, Have faith. Have faith in God, have faith in the word that he's released, and stand and see him do what he wants to do. And so, After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. And this is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord, his faithfulness endures forever. And I read that and I thought, is that all they sang? I mean, what did they do? Did they repeat that over and over? I mean, did, did you ever wonder that if, you, if you've read this story? Did you ever wonder, OK, it says this is what they sang. Now I don't know, Josh, how you put that to music, but you know, here they are. They're, they're singing. And, and maybe you know, that's where we get messed up sometimes, I think, in, in worship it's gotta be the particular song that we like. I don't know if they like these words that much or not. I mean, I know they come from Psalm 136. And in 136, it repeats that line, his faithful love endures forever over and over and over, and it declares all these things that God has done and all the things that he's doing. But here you are. I mean, can you imagine a general of the U.S. Army saying, here's the what we're going to do. I'm going to send the army out, but we're going to send the choir out before them and you're going to sing. Now, How many of you know that that takes incredible courage by the choir? Because you're going to go in front of the army. Where's the army? Oh, they're behind us. Oh, so we're going to take the first shots, huh? I mean let's be honest, so these people these singers that are going to go out there and sing whatever they're singing, they have to <laughs> believe that god's going to do something that, that God's going to do what only he can do, that he's going to protect them that that he that the word that he's spoken uh through Uh, Jehaziel, is gonna be true. That they don't have to be afraid. They don't have to be discouraged. That God's gonna fight the battle. And so they begin to sing. Here's the interesting part. In 22 it says this. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, God does what he promised he'd do. Do you get that? God was gonna do what he was gonna do. Did you notice, nowhere in the prophetic word that was given by the prophet did he say, now here's what I want you to do I want you to go out and sing. Was that in there? No, it's not in there. Where'd they come up with that? When did Jehoshaphat feel or get this prompting from God this is what you need to do? You need to send those singers out there. And when he did that, and and see, he's going out on a limb, really, in a way because it wasn't in the prophetic word. And, And so he says to these people, and they have enough confidence in him that he's heard from God, that they do it. And as soon as they begin to sing, what happens? The purposes and intentions of God are released. I want you to think about that. In worship, the purposes and intentions of God are released. I wonder if that will make us think differently about worship. That there's something there that triggers the purposes and plans of God. I wonder, will that make us think differently about worship? I mean cuz look at Here's their song Give thanks to the Lord His faithful love endures forever Pretty simplistic, don't you think? And yet that simplistic song releases the intentions and purposes of God at the very moment they begin to sing I wonder is that true today is it possible that the worship of God's people triggers the intentions of God in situations and if that's true I wonder if we'll view worship differently than maybe that we do. Oh, gee, I hope Josh picks out some good worship songs today, ones that I like, ones that can really grab a hold of my heart. You know what? Our hearts should already be grabbed a hold of. And we could just sing, can you imagine we just show up here and we sing, give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. And he begins to release those things that he wants to release. He begins to accomplish those things, not just in you, but in the world that we live in. I mean, who's on your prayer list Who needs God to release the things that only he can release? Who do you know that's bound up? Who do you know that's in a difficult and bad place and they need God's deliverance? Could he do that? Does he do that? Or is it just a story? that we read that has absolutely no meaning to us whatsoever. It only had meaning to them in that situation. And so, he unleashes, if you will, unleashes his power against those who have opposition to him. Do you think for a moment that he can release his power against the demonic waves and hordes out there that trouble people's hearts and minds and keeping them in captivity? Could he do that? Would he do that? Will he do that? Now, I'm not gonna read all the rest of that. What happens is he unleashes his purposes and, and the armies, they turn on each other. And they destroy each other. It says none of them were left. And, and they go out and, and, and they look and, and all the plunder. It takes them three days to collect it all. And on the fourth day, they named the place the Valley of Blessing. Well, wouldn't you have named it that? The Valley of Blessing. This is where God moved and it, at, at the writing of this book. It was still that title. And then it goes on, it says this. And they marched into Jerusalem, verse 28, to the music of the harps and lyres and trumpets, and they proceeded to the temple of the Lord. They had seen God do what he promised that he would do. And now they're rejoicing in that. And it finishes up with this. And if you go get the kids, that would be great. Because what we're going to do is we're going to bring the kids back in here because I want them to be a part of what we're going to do, okay? And I already told her, this isn't a surprise. She knows that this is going to happen, okay? So when all the surrounding kingdoms heard that the Lord himself had fought against the enemies of Israel, the fear of God came over them. How did they hear that? They didn't have instant messenger. They didn't have a cell phone. How'd they hear that? Were there people that were aware of what God had done? See, he says, they heard that the Lord himself had fought against the enemies of Israel. They heard that. They knew that Israel didn't do it. In fact, Israel didn't lift a sword. They knew that God did that and they were filled with fear. And so it says, and Jehoshaphat's kingdom was at peace for his God had given them rest on every side. Those people that were terrified at first, because they thought that they were going to be defeated. Now, all of a sudden, they're rejoicing, they're singing, and the enemy is filled with fear. And I'm going to end with this. Paul says in Philippians 5, and Josh, you can come on up and if you're Accompanying man on the guitar. Come on up, Scott. He says this don't be drunk with wine because that can ruin your life. Instead, be filled, and, and those of you know that's be being filled. It's an ongoing activity, it's not a one time situation. And, you know, there's so much fuss about, oh, gosh, being filled with the Holy Spirit. How does that take place? What's it all about? Okay, I don't know all those answers. But here's what I do know. The evidence of the infilling of the Spirit can be this, that you're going to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. You're going to do that. That's what's going to happen. One of the evidences, and then it goes on and says this, and the second thing that will happen is that you're going to make music in your heart to the Lord. So one of the things I know for sure about the infilling of the Spirit, and it's a continuous activity, is this, you're going to sing. How many of you know God created worship? Worship. God created music. That was his doing. And so it gets twisted and perverted some, but it's God who did that. It's God who is to be worshiped. How many of you know this? In the book of Revelation, Jack Hayford said this. He said, you'll never understand the book of Revelation until you understand it's a book of worship. And how many times in Revelation do they break out in worship? They declare his value, his worth, and his majesty, and all that. How many times as Paul writes an epistle that in the midst of his writing, he breaks out into a doxology, declaring the beauty and grace and power of God? And so there's power in worship. And so here's what we're going to do. You're gonna stand if you can. And we're gonna worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. How many of you know it's Father's Day? And so we're gonna worship the Father of fathers. Your father, my father. And we're gonna give him praise. Now, here, I I want you to know this. In the midst of all this, He puts on your heart to go a different direction than Josh is going. Go there. If that's what he wants, if he puts a new song in your heart to sing, oh, and you don't have to drown everybody else out. (laughs) Uh, This is not for show, it's for him. You just begin to sing it to him. How many of you came here to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords today? Well, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to worship our creator, the one who is in control, the one who loves us and died for us and gave his life for us that we might be redeemed. And so, you know, however you want to do it, you want to raise your hands, you raise your hands. You want to, however you want to do it, but do it as we sing these songs to give him glory. Let's do that together, okay?
1: It's a new day dawning, it's time to sing your song again. Is failing The end draws near And my time has come Still my soul will sing your praise Oh, glory.